We begin today with a renewed focus on changing gun laws nationally and here in Florida. There are growing calls for universal background checks, red flag laws, a ban on military-style assault rifles. And later, we're going to talk to the leader of the campaign to get that question on the Florida ballot next year. South Florida Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz is pushing for that ban and other gun reform, and she is demanding that Senator Mitch McConnell call the Senate back to work in Washington to debate and vote on a gun reform bill. The Democrat from Weston is also a prominent voice in the debate over a planned trip to Israel by Representative Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, and that is where we started when we sat down with her on Friday. Congresswoman, great to have you. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks for Good having morning. me. Good morning. Great to see you again. You as always. Let's begin with the very timely news. Late this week, uh, uh, two of your Democratic colleagues in the House, uh, Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, were denied visas by Israel to make a visit there. They are both Muslims. They are both uh, pro-Palestinian. They support BDS, which you vehemently oppose. Most yes. of people do. Uh, was Israel right to deny them visas? No. Um, I, I really strongly disagreed and with their decision to deny uh, the two members of Congress visas. I put out a statement that said, we have two you know, free countries, the United States and Israel, who have flourished as a result of the ability to speak freely, even when we disagree. And Limiting travel based on disagreement with one's opinion is, is really inappropriate and I think makes Israel weaker. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu did the denial. It, there's, a, there's a couple of really interesting things. Yeah. After President Trump tweeted about how weak it would be if he admitted these congresswomen, is it your opinion that the president in a tweet was trying to influence that or just doing what the president does and tweeting his opinions? You know, I'm, I'm not going to question the motivation of, of Prime Minister Netanyahu of, in the chicken and egg process of how he decided, but it was wildly inappropriate for the president to, to urge a, a leader of another country to deny U.S. citizens, members of the United States Congress, access to a country that is an ally of ours, that is a free country, and that, like the United States, benefits from the debate and discussion of disparate yeah. ideas. What do you make of, though, the fact that, uh, as we are speaking here Friday morning, the, uh, it was the official capacity of these congresswomen that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu uh, denied entry right. to, but then went on to say, uh, Congresswoman Tlaib wanted to visit her grandmother who lives in the West Bank, mm -hmm. come on a humanitarian visa and we'll admit you. So there seems to be this official versus personal. And then the Congresswoman said, never mind, I don't want to go. What do you make of, of that back and forth? What does that say to you? Well, I think both President Trump and the Prime Minister are really traveling down a dangerous pathway where allowing Israel to become a political wedge issue, to be used as a political football is dangerous for making sure that we can always ensure that Israel is a Jewish and democratic state and that eventually we can have a process restarted that leads to two states for two people, peoples living side by side in peace. And uh, what, what I will say, particularly about uh, their willingness to grant Congresswoman to leave access to visit her grandmother, that was still uh, only if she 
agreed not to speak out against Israel or mm -hmm. or uh, make any comments. And you know that's just anathema to everything that Israel and the United States stands for. Israel is a pluralistic, democratic yes. country, and yes. anybody who's been there, you don't have to. I have a couple of times. I mean, the debate there is ferocious oh. and freewheeling. Everybody's opinion, they can express it. Israel is strong enough to withstand the admission of two members of the United States House of Representatives yeah. with who, who have views that we vehemently disagree with, but certainly should be allowed into the country. Yeah. And can, can I ask like one last question on, on that account? Because this has been, this isn't the first time that those two congresswomen have been uh, seen as anti-Semitic, uh, especially in support of BDS boycott divestment sanction, which uh, is a political effort to cripple Israel's right. attempt to be its own security first and foremost by Palestinians who feel oppressed by that. So my question to you is, the president called these two congresswomen anti-Israel and anti-Jewish. What's your take on that? I'm a vehement opponent of the BDS movement, and I think the movement itself is inherently anti-Semitic. I mean, if you try to do something, if you support a movement to cripple Israel, uh, then essentially you are putting yourself in opposition to there being the existence of a Jewish and democratic state. That's an unacceptable position, but it is one that if we shroud it in darkness and we don't expose how vile it is, with with dialogue and we also don't try to show why it's so wrong-headed then it's showing it, we're making it more likely it's perpetuated uh, let's just take a minute i want everybody at home if you did not see president trump on thursday he explained why he supported and had urged uh, the prime minister not to uh, grant visas to these two members of congress here's what the president said well, I'm only involved from the standpoint of uh, they are very anti-Jewish and they're very anti-Israel. I think it's disgraceful, the things they've said. You have lists of, uh, this isn't just a one-line mistake. What they've said about Israel and Jewish people is a horrible thing, and they've become the face of the Democrat Party. That's what I want to ask you about, is President Trump clearly is trying to say that Omar Tlaib, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, all four members of the squad, that this is the new Democratic Party. Disingenuous words by a white supremacist president who has used his office to fan the flames that have enabled what we have seen in this country, where we have had multiple mass shootings that have taken place in this country targeting people of color, targeting Jews. The president has refused to own his contributions with his rhetoric that have allowed, the, you know, to, that have inf uh, inspired these mass shooters. And so that's my response to what he said. And we need to be focusing on making sure that all the rhetoric that has been incendiary is dialed down. That's a great way to segue into our next topic. Uh, there is now a big focus on the Senate to take up the two uh, bills, gun bills, I'm yes. going to call them, that the House has passed on background gun checks. Gun violence bills. Gun violence bills. Thank you. Better term for it, <laughs> because that's a bipartisan thing. Absolutely. Um, background checks and enhanced background checks now right. uh, sitting on Senate Leader Mitch McConnell's desk. What are these bills? designed to do and how different would they make what law is now? Making sure that we can keep guns out of the hands of people who would do others harm and keeping people safe 
through through no fault of, through through actions that are no fault of their own, is is what the goals of both bills are. One, we have a nine out of ten Republicans, nine out of ten gun owners, and nine of, out of ten Trump supporters, according to a Fox News poll, support universal background checks for all sales of guns. That's what HR eight would do. The enhanced background check bill that is also sitting in the Senate would have addressed the Charleston loophole where the shooter who went into Mother Emanuel Church should not have been able to purchase a weapon, but because, because people purchasing weapons who are ineligible, if the three-day waiting period expires at, before the background right. check comes back, they're given the gun. So right. that loophole has to be They couldn't now. process his application uh, in time. You, know, President, you wouldn't be given the gun until the right. background check is completed. Ex exactly. Uh, President Trump the other day came out of the White House and said he supports hmm. meaningful background checks. Uh, Senator McConnell pretty clearly is going to do whatever the president tells him to do. So what do you expect President Trump to do on this? I'm a show me person, not a tell me person. And all I've heard lots of words, most of them lies from President Trump uh, since he's become president, uh, including on, uh, on how we can deal with yeah. gun violence. Um, I think the Republican Party and Mitch McConnell have a leash around their necks held by the, by NRA. the NRA. And, uh, and, and I don't have any expectation. Uh, so color me skeptical. Uh, I don't have any expectation that they're going to do anything that is, uh, is is not in line with what the NRA is supportive of, and they are absolutely against this. And and frankly, if the president is serious, I I've seen what a president does when they're serious about having Congress act on legislation that, that, that matters to them. Barack Obama did that. George W. Bush did that. Um, the president needs to get on the phone and start personally lobbying the Republican members right. in the United States Senate, including Mitch McConnell. I want to know how, not, not that just Mitch McConnell is going to put that bill, those bills on the floor. Is he going to vote for them? Is he going to urge his mm -hmm. colleagues to vote for them? Because that's the only way that the bill is going to become law and go to the president's desk. Right, right now, today, we're after uh, Dayton shooting and El Paso shooting and right. Chicago and Gilroy shooting. Right. Uh, you know, how many years ago it was after the Newtown shooting and kindergartners and first graders. Right. What, what's different now that wasn't then? Have we reached a, a critical mass now that that the country was not reaching after kindergartners and first graders were slaughtered? Um, I'm not sure it's the critical mass, but, you know, we the Senate defeated background checks legislation after... 26-year-olds, five and six-year-olds were killed in their elementary school. Well, after your friend Gabby Giffords was nearly shot we to death. We did nothing after a colleague of ours, Gabby Giffords, one of my closest friends, was nearly shot to death. Um, we did nothing after 17 high school students were killed in our community. And we've forgotten uh, that the year before we had a mass shooting in the Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport because there's been so many. I think what was incredibly disturbing for Americans is going to sleep after El Paso on Saturday night a couple of weeks ago yeah. with tw uh, 22 people shot and waking up the next morning it, that another mass shooting had occurred in Dayton. Right. You know, it's after. important to say that... It means these, no one is safe. These, That's the feeling, I think. I, I just want to... I'm compelled to say that sure. these two gun bills on those accounts would not have stopped those shooters. But safety legislation, Glenna, which has been the cornerstone of my legislative agenda for my whole career, is about putting obstacles in the path of people who would do others harm. And so we have to make sure we do everything we can to protect people who can't protect themselves. That's what the law is for. And this is simple, basic, common sense. That's why you have, it's a 90-10 issue 
for gun owners, for Republicans, even for Trump supporters, and for Americans. We must make sure we close all the loopholes. If you shouldn't own a gun under federal law, and by the way, we should pass Jamie's law, the bill that I've sponsored. On ammunition? At, yes, named after Fred Gutenberg's daughter, J Jamie, which would require background checks on ammunition purchases, because you certainly can't kill someone, even if you've stolen a gun, if you can't buy ammunition. That is already federal law. You're prohibited for the same reasons you're prohibited from buying a gun, but no one checks. You can walk into a store, even if you're a felon, right. and buy as much ammunition as you'd like. Yeah. We'll see. Representative Wasserman Schultz, Thank great to have it come in. Good discussion. My pleasure. We will see you out there. For 10 years, from 1994 to 2004, the sale of assault weapons was banned in this country and mass shootings declined sharply. There has been no appetite for such a ban in the Florida legislature, even as lawmakers did pass unprecedented gun safety law in the weeks after the massacre at Douglas High. Gail Schwartz is now leading the effort to get a constitutional question banning assault weapons on the Florida ballot next year. A long and expensive process, but they already have gotten about 100,000 signatures on their petitions. Gail's nephew, Alex Schachter, was one of the 17 people killed at Stoneman Douglas High. Her group is called BAWN, which stands for Ban Assault Weapons Now. Gail Schwartz, welcome. Great so to glad have you're here. You. you know, Gail, there are few questions in Florida that are as polarizing as a ban on assault weapons or any weapons. Why this? Why now? This particular question. I have always been horrified by the amount of bloodshed and carnage that Americans have had to um, deal with on a, you know, on a daily basis in this country. And I often wondered if we were attacked overseas by the frequency of our homegrown mass shootings, there would have been a massive federal response. And now we're seeing this here domestically on our local soil um, and these shooters are Americans and yet there's still no response but from the federal government. And then and then your nephew Alex and was one of the 17 who was killed at Stoneman Douglas High. And then it affected me personally and my family and a beautiful happy always smiling lovely child who is my nephew and I said you know this can't be the world that we want to live in. And, and um, I'll tell you, I felt abandoned by my country and by my Florida legislature. And I decided um, there's got to be more that we can do. I refuse to believe that we're going to live like this in, in a constant state of fear, not knowing if our children are gonna come home alive. And I decided we could do something here because I knew that Florida had a history of approving very similar type ballot initiatives, citizens initiatives, where we could finally have a voice and a say in something that is affecting all of us. You know, it has this ballot question, as all ballot questions do, has hurdles to get on the ballot in 2020. If we can, let's put up the actual ballot language that is now being vetted because the actual language of the bill has huge opposition for one from the Attorney General Ashley Moody who calls it misleading and if, if we can put it up so that everybody can see what the actual question is that you all are trying to get on the ballot, the title will be assault rifle ban. 
prohibits possession of assault weapons defined as semi-automatic rifles and shotguns capable of holding more than 10 rounds of ammunition at once in fixed or detachable, uh, detachable magazine or any other ammunition feeding device. I want to stop there for a moment because I think the essential question that the opposition would say was assault weapon is such a vague and all-encompassing term that it could mean a lot of different kinds of weapons that aren't those mass killer types of weapons. Address that if you would. Okay, first of all, it's hard to take Ashley Moody seriously on this issue. She did get an A rating from the NRA. So we know that she has ulterior motives, which is to continue to make money for the gun manufacturers. In fairness, we don't know that. She is yeah. the attorney general and a lawyer. So, but point, you know, to your point, Thank that, you. that is a, somewhat some people do believe. Yes. And I'm not surprised. This was exactly what I had expected from her. We feel very confident that we have written a rock solid amendment with language no. that will pass through the Supreme Court that's been vetted by attorneys and by firearms no. Specialist. And the author of the amendment was John Mills, former speaker of the Florida House, uh, dean of the law school at the University of Florida. Even Marion Hammer is quoted in the paper right. in the Herald today as saying he's a very smart guy, so he knew what he was doing when he made the definition so broad. Is it too broad? I don't think so. These are milit military-grade weapons. Um, these are the AR-15s, AK-47s. Yeah. Um, these are rapid-fire, high-velocity weapons that have no place in our in our community. And Marion Hammer is quoted in that same article in the Herald today, is saying, "What are you going to say to a 14-year-old girl out maybe on a farm someplace in Florida, who got a 22 caliber rifle to go out and plank and shoot targets? You know, who would get that gun either?" she'd have to register it or turn it in, you know, First if this of all, passes. I don't think Marion Hammer is living in the world of reality anymore. Um, we passed a law right after Parkland where we decided that if you're under the age of 21, you shouldn't be buying firearms. There's a reason why we did that. These are killing machines. They're obviously way too dangerous for a 10-year-old to own. And there was a recent, um, a recent report of a young child who used this exact type weapon at the shooting range. She lost control over the weapon, and she ended up killing her, her, um, her firearms instructor. Gail, the, uh, the, the process that you're going through right now, that all proposed ballot questions have to go through, just got a little tougher. The state signed off on, the governor signed off on sort of stricter rules, more onerous rules to get petitions signed. Is that, is that effective? Where are you in the process now, I guess is my question. Petition-wise, signatures, how's that going? We have submitted over 100,000 signed petitions. What we've been working on this last year was building coalitions with groups all across Florida. We are 100% grassroots. Uh, we have March for Our Lives, League of Women Voters, Moms Demand Action, Florida PTA, American Academy of Pediatrics of Florida. They're all helping us. Uh, we want to mobilize Floridians all across the state. This is a chance for us to do something. Is this going to stop all gun violence in Florida? 
No, there's no clear answer to that. But we can't deal with the massacres that are happening if we don't deal with the actual weapon of war, the weapon of yeah. choice that these mass murderers are using. And so very briefly, the other day at a rally in New Hampshire, the president said, essentially, it's not the gun, you know, it's not the trigger that kills somebody, it's the person with the gun. So he is simply the old saw about Guns don't kill people, people kill people. Well, it's like putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. It's not going to work unless you deal with the actual military-grade weapon. And that's what we've set out to do. We've never had a chance to have a voice in what types of weapons we want sold in our state. We're finally having a chance to do something about that. Gail Schwartz, great for you to come in. Appreciate your time, and we will be tracking progress. Please do keep and us posted. And I would posted. strongly encourage everyone to please go visit our website, which is Ban Assault Weapons Now, Florida.org, and there you can print and sign the petition. Thanks. Okay. Appreciate that. Thank you. Gail, thank you. The recent and not so recent mass shootings, the horror, the heartbreak, the rallies, passionate debate over weapons, all that has been front and center this week with the effort to get a ban on assault rifles put on the Florida ballot next year. In Tallahassee on Friday, in a bland beige room, state economists sat around a table adding up the costs and or benefits to the state. That's part of the process every proposed ballot question goes through to calculate the potential public costs on tax collections, administrative costs, etc. Well, that hearing has been about the one place where the people discussing a proposed weapons ban are dispassionate, unemotional, all dollars and cents. How painful it must be to the families enduring the profound loss of loved ones. The dollars and cents would be part of that decision. That grief is immeasurable, and that does not count for state economists, though. Not surprisingly, the panel heard from Marion Hammer, the veteran lobbyist for the National Rifle Association and familiar force in Tallahassee, who said the state's gun manufacturers, many lured to Florida by tax incentives over the last decade, is a billion-dollar industry contributing $8 million in tax revenue a year. Some would be put out of business by such an amendment. They also heard from a radiologist from Broward who said he owns 20 weapons, including assault rifles, that he would gladly give up as he ticked off the costs of law enforcement response, medical care, job loss, loosely estimated at $14 billion a year. For the ballot question, there are still significant hurdles. The disputed language, we've been talking about that, has to get through the courts. The number of supportive petitions is nowhere near 766,200 that they need, not just yet. But if the numbers do check out, a ban on the high-capacity rapid-fire weapons may make financial sense. For the record, this is not in support or opposition, it's just observation. No answers yet, incidentally, from those state economists. They said they need two more meetings to figure all that out. So stay tuned.